Hi, I'm Rob Buckingham and welcome to episode 22 of Digging Deeper. This is a weekly podcast that takes a deep dive into a theme or subject and explores what the Bible has to say about it. About 20% of the population say they believe in after-death communication. And it's understandable, we miss our loved ones and don't want to think that this life is all there is. So can the deceased communicate with us? And what does the Bible teach? More on that later. But first, the doctrine of the Trinity can be difficult to grasp. Hence the question, how can Jesus be God and also talk to God? Let's find out. I recall you stating in one of your sermons that Jesus is fully God. How can this be if Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane and addressed him whilst dying on the cross? Wouldn't it make more sense that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are parts of God communicating with each other? rather than one of them being fully God, especially since Psalm 8.5 and Hebrews 2.7 reads, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. If Jesus were fully God, he couldn't be lower than anything. Therefore, is it possible that Jesus was part man, part God, until his resurrection when he joined the Father? That is an absolutely brilliant question, can I say. And I really hope I can do this justice. I want to start, though, by saying that if I could fully explain God to you, then he wouldn't be God. If I could put God into finite words and phrases and sentences, then he wouldn't be the infinite eternal God that he is. So even the Bible itself only expresses in human words that are finite and limited to give us just a snapshot of something of what God is like. So, for example, the Bible will attribute human elements to God. It'll talk about the hand of God and God's eyes running to and fro across the earth and all of those sort of things. Now, God is spirit, and Jesus said that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So a spirit is not in uh, in a fleshly body. And so God doesn't have eyes and he doesn't, doesn't have hands because God is spirit. He's everywhere. He fills everything in every way, the Bible says. So he is immense but he reduces himself down into human language so we can glimpse him. So I'll say that as as a way of a bit of a background there. How can a finite mind fully grasp an infinite and eternal God? In fact, the Bible says that everlasting life is to know God. So all of eternity, we're going to be seeing a little bit more of God that we hadn't seen before. And we're going to go, oh, wow, that's amazing. I hadn't seen that before. I've got, Have you seen that before? I've got, no, how awesome is that? You know, so it'll be like this divine treasure hunt that goes on forever and ever, which is wonderful. So where I based that statement uh, in my sermon on was 
from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, the deity or the Godhead. So the word there, um, in all the modern translations, it's translated as deity. In the King James Version, it uses the word Godhead uh, there. And Bible Hub describes the Godhead as the personal God revealed in the Bible who is triune and infinitely relational. I love that definition. The personal God revealed in the Bible who is triune. He's a trinity, and I'll get into that in a moment. And he is infinitely relational. And so that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, took residence in a human body in Christ, all the fullness of deity, of the Godhead, Godhead lives in bodily form, in the flesh. So let's have a look at this, um, uh, the, the Trinity. And, and can I say here, most of the pseudo-Christian sects refuse to embrace this teaching. This is orthodox Christian teaching about the Trinity, something I hold to and something that our church, Bayside Church, holds to and the movement of churches that we're a part of, the Crosslink Christian Network. So the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the concept is. It actually comes from two words, tris and unus. Uh, Tris means three and unus means one. And so God is the three one. So God is one. He is one God, and we'll look at a verse of Scripture about that in a moment, but he is expressed in three distinct personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom are God. Now, a kind of example of that, which isn't 100% accurate and falls short of what God is really like, but if we talk about the Buckingham family, for example. Okay, so the fa- my family, Rob, Christy, Gigi, Paris, and Trinity are five members of one family. So we are one and we are five. God is one and he is three. As I say, that falls short, that example, but it's the best way that I can bring some human understanding to this God of being three in one. God revealed himself as a plurality in the very first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So who who was God speaking to here? Three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man mankind in our image, in our likeness. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us. And so we see that plurality there. The unity of God is the catch cry of Israel. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let us, but the Lord is one, triune. Tris and Eunice, he is the three one. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? 
This is a dialogue happening in the boardroom of heaven, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're looking for someone to go to the nations to, to preach, to prophesy. And the next verse, Isaiah goes, here I am, why don't you send me? And they did. But it started there with this discussion, whom shall I send who will go for us, the three in one? There are dozens of references in the New Testament to the Trinity. I won't, um, I won't go through all of them with you, but at the baptism of Jesus, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. There we see the triune God in action. So Jesus, the God the Son, in bodily form, getting baptized, coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit, wasn't a dove, it was like a dove, alighting on him gently, and then heaven opens and a voice, the voice of the Father from heaven, and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect unison. We see the same in the Great Commission right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, 28 and verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God in action there as well. In John 14, verses 16 and 17, we see the Trinity at work in the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or comforter to help you and be with you forever. And then he tells us who that is, the Spirit of truth. So the Son was going to ask the Father to send the Spirit, the three in one. We see the same in the benediction given at the end of 2 Corinthians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Wonderful way to finish a church service. That's the benediction. The love of God is an interesting thing here. I wonder if you have ever thought of this, the love of God. 1 John 4.16 tells us that God is love. But by the very nature of what love is, it has to have an object in order to exist. So I can't just sit here and be love without an object. Now, I might feel loving, but there's no object to my love. So it's only when I'm with people and then I can give love to them, but I am not love in and of myself. And it's the same with God. God had to have, uh, uh, for perfect love to exist, God had to have an object in all of eternity. So before he created uh, people and, and his creation, which he loves, and all the animals and plants, which God loves, uh, for God to be love in all of eternity, he needed to have an object for his love. And so what we see there is perfect love expressed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at these um, three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just very quickly. First of all, the Father is God. 
The Father is God. In John chapter 6 and verse 27, on him, Jesus, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So God the Father has placed on Jesus his seal of approval. So God the Father, the Father is God. What about the Son? Well, Matthew one twenty three. This is a, a verse that we look at every Christmas time. Matthew one twenty three. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, says Matthew, God with us. Who is Jesus? He is God with us. And then in Acts chapter five, uh, verses one to four, it's the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, They, of course, lie about selling a block of land and bringing all the proceeds, and it doesn't turn out like a good day for these two. But Peter says to them, first of all, he says, why have you lied to God? And then a couple of verses later, he said, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. So there he joins the Holy Spirit Is God. And so it's important for us to realize that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God as well. Let me just get to the second part of that question before I wrap this part of it up. Hebrews 2 7 reads, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. If Jesus were fully God, he couldn't be lower than anything. Therefore, is it possible that Jesus was part man, part God until his resurrection when he was uh, joined? Uh, when he joined the Father. So just very quickly, understanding what the book of Hebrews is all about. And we don't know who wrote Hebrews, by the way. It wasn't written by Paul. Uh, The language that is used by the writer of Hebrews is not typical for the Apostle Paul. Some people think Barnabas wrote the book. Some people think Priscilla wrote it. And if that's the case, Priscilla and Achaia, her husband, who were senior leaders in the church, church pioneers, a wonderful dynamic duo. And if if Priscilla wrote Hebrews, then it's the only uh, book of the New Testament that is actually penned by a woman. And of course, it was a very patriarchal society in Israel in the first century. And so if she did write it, to accept it into the canon of Scripture, they would have had to suppress her name as the author of it. But some people think Priscilla was the author of Hebrews and other th- other people, probably including myself, think that Apollos uh, wrote the book. But the book was written to Hebrew Christians who were walking away from Jesus. Persecution had broken out uh, because of their faith. They were being persecuted by their friends and their family and by their Jewish community from the synagogue. And uh, many of these people were shrinking back from Jesus and putting themselves back under the old covenant. And so the writer of to, the, to these Hebrew Christians is writing here to say, why are you leaving something which is far superior to the thing that you're going back to? And the author spends the whole book saying Jesus is greater. In chapter 1, Jesus is greater than angels. Same in chapter 2, that he says Jesus is better than Moses, better than the law, better than the Sabbath, better than Joshua. He's the great high priest of a new covenant. 
He offered a better sacrifice than any animal. He offered a sacrifice that is once and for all. And so that's what he's talking about in the book of Hebrews. And so what does Hebrews chapter 9, sorry, chapter 2 and verse 7 mean? Let's read it in context because here he's talking about Jesus being better than angels, okay? So it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Uh, And the word little lower there means for a little while lower, than the angels, you crown them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So the context here is that Jesus was made low for a period of time because he came to die for all of humanity. He came here to suffer death for all of us, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for every person, so that then he might reconcile all people to himself. That's what we see reflected in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, being, in found, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So death on a cross was the worst way to die in the first century. And the Old Testament scriptures tell us that everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. So being hung on this tree, this cross, uh, Jesus became a curse for us. He he was cursed for us. He tasted death for us that we might be liberated from the curse and uh, liberated from death. And so Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7, he had to be made like them, like us, like human beings, fully human in every way, fully human in every way. And so... Um, that's really important for us to understand. And so just wrapping this up, Jesus wasn't part man and part God. He was 100% human and 100% divine. And uh, that's what it goes on to say, as I just mentioned. You know, in verse 17, he had to be made like people, uh, fully human in every way. He had to have a complete understanding of the human condition, but reminding you what what it said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And so what we see in Jesus is a person who is 100% human and 100% divine. I hope that really helps to answer your question. We hope you're enjoying this Digging Deeper podcast and that it helps you with your understanding of the Bible and how it applies to life. If you're finding it helpful, please let others know about it. One way to do this is by rating and reviewing the podcast on iTunes. That goes a long way to help other people find us. 
and please like us on Facebook. Now back to Rob. Do you believe that people who pass, pass away, are still connected to us through their spirit? I feel like, and she she refers to her husband who's passed away, uh, that her husband's spirit can still communicate with me and I have so many things that have occurred that could not be explained otherwise. And so, first of all, I really, really appreciate your question. And uh, please know that you're not on your own feeling this way. In fact, there's been some research conducted in America on uh, what is referred to as ADC, that is after-death communication. And uh, they discovered through this research that about 20% of the American population say they experience such communication. And so I imagine, you know, Australia is not that radically different. We're a Western society as well. Maybe there's probably 20% of Australians who feel that they have had some sort of ADC after-death Communication. So the question here really is, can the spirits of departed loved ones still communicate with us? Um, first of all, I'll say it is completely understandable that we deeply miss a loved one who has passed away. And I completely get the whole thing of where people will say things like, I know that they're looking down on me now, or you know, I sense their presence with me and I still talk to them when they're when when I'm in the house, all of those things. I think they're very healthy ways of helping us to uh, deal with the grief and the loss of a loved one no longer being physically present with us. And so I think those things are very, very healthy. I remember talking to my gran. Uh, many years ago, she passed away quite a long time ago. She was almost 102 uh, when she passed away. And I'll tell you a little story about her in a moment. But her husband, my grandfather, had a series of fairly major heart attacks. And uh, he had the final one, which was a doozy, which took him out at the age of, I think he was 73. And so they were around the same age. So she lived as a widow without her husband for almost 30 years. And she would tell me that she'd walk into the house on some days and she would call out his name. His name was John. And so she'd call out John and and then realise, oh, my goodness, yes, he's not here anymore because they'd been married for ages, you know, 40, 50 years, whatever it was. And, uh, and so it took her time. I... Um, when I was in Bible college in the 80s, uh, she came out to Australia and uh, she was from England. Her name is Mar- was Marjorie Buckingham and she was awfully well-spoken. She was a very posh British lady. She would never call me Rob. She would always call me Robert and she told me that. She said, I will call you Robert because Rob is so common, don't you think? And I didn't think. But uh, she was happy with that. So she's the only one who's allowed to call me Robert. And uh, I'm sure some of you now, next time you see me, will call me Robert. Uh, But Gran is the only one that can really get away with that. So anyway, she came out to Sydney and I drove to pick her up from the airport and I took her back to the Bible College and she met many of the students and was pretty blown away actually by the love that she was shown. And we were sitting down watching a bit of TV one night. We'd had dinner together and we were watching the two Ronnies on TV. And so... 
uh, we were watching the two Ronnies and we ended up getting into this conversation while the TV was on and uh, we started talking about eternity and uh, life after death and all of those sorts of things. And uh, and uh, she said to me, she said, oh, I, I hope I'll go to heaven. And I said to her, I said, well, would you like to pray with me so that you can have the assurance of eternal life? And she said, yes, I would. So we switched the two Ronnies off. And I shared a few things with her. I shared the gospel with her, and then I led her in a prayer. And uh, she said to me, she said, oh, I feel so peaceful now. And uh, eventually she went back to the UK. She went to Perth first to see my parents and my family over in Western Australia, and then she went back to England. And a little while later, uh, when well, probably about 10 years later, Christy and I got married and we we flew over to the UK and we went and visited Gran and... Uh, and she still couldn't work out why she was still around. She was living in a an, an old people's home. Uh, not that she was one of the old people, but uh, she was living there and she used to call it God's waiting room. And she said to me, I don't know why I'm still here. I really, really am looking forward to going home. And so a few years later, she went home uh, to be with Jesus. But um, that really resonated with me when she said to me, when she walked into the house, she would still call her husband's name many, many years after he'd passed away. My own mum died about four or five years ago. She had had a battle with dementia for about five years. And if you've ever had a loved one with dementia, you'll know that you do all of your grieving or the vast majority of your grieving before they pass away because you lose them right before your very eyes. And so mum eventually uh, passed away uh, early one morning and Christy and I and the family were actually overseas at the time. And so I flew back uh, to Perth and I conducted my mum's funeral uh, because my mum was a Christian and so am I, and uh, but the rest of my family aren't. And so I wanted mum to have a Christian funeral and so I did her, um, I conducted her funeral. And uh, Afterwards, um, the people were outside and, you know, having having teas and coffees and chatting and stuff. And when I'd kind of composed myself after the funeral, I went out and joined them. The fascinating thing, though, was for the next several months, almost every night I had a dream about my mum. And invariably in the dream, she was better. In fact, I remember in one dream saying to her, I said, Mum, your memory's okay now. And she goes, yes, I'm fine now. And all of these dreams, this interaction where I just felt so peaceful and I felt her her company with me in that dream. Now, I don't know whether that those dreams were God-given or whether those dreams were just my own mind and spirit working through the grief and the emotion and all of those kinds of things. I kind of think that they were a combination of both. I remember waking up every every morning when I'd had those dreams, feeling really, really comforted uh, by having that connection uh, with my mum, even though she had passed away. So there is a connection with our departed loved ones uh, through shared memories uh, through shared songs. One of the songs that my mum loved uh, was Love's Old Sweet Song. It was a song that was a big hit in the 1920s and then again in the 1940s. And I didn't know at the time, but it was my mum's party piece when she was eight years old. I remember telling my Auntie Jean, which was mum's sister, 
I said, oh, and I go in to see mum in the nursing home. Uh, we've, I've been playing the old songs by Nat King Cole and, you know, some of the old hymns, Abide With Me and Amazing Grace that she loves. And I said, but there's one song that when I play it, mum starts to sing and she'll tap her hand and she sings it word perfect. Perfect. And remember, she had dementia, right? And my auntie said to me, she said, well, that was your mum's party piece when she was eight. Of course, that was before TV. Uh, radio was was all the buzz, but what they would do for entertainment back in those days was that all the kids would have a little item that they would do. So when the family came around, each of the kids would put on kind of a mini performance. And apparently my mum would get up and sing Love's Old Sweet Song. Well, of course, I didn't know that. It just happened to be one of the songs that I had on one of my Spotify playlists. And one day I just played it to her and she looked at me. She said, oh, I do love that song and started to sing it word perfect. And then and then tears just ran down her face as she sang that. So I believe that's the spirit of God at work there because out of all of the millions of songs that I could have chosen, I had happened to land on that one, which was so very well known to her. So there'll be memories or there'll be experiences, there'll be things, songs, hymns, maybe a perfume that reminds you of someone. Maybe it's a movie, uh, Bible verses, all those sorts of things that are great connection points. And we comfort ourselves with these memories in the face of grief and loss. And we feel that the one that we love is still very much with us. I think God orchestrates some of these things. I think he orchestrates them as an act of love, as if from our departed loved one, that God is, uh, he is the comforter, isn't he? Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit coming. He said, when I've gone, I'm going to send another one exactly like me. So the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, he's one that's called alongside us to stay with us and see us through to the other side of a deep need or a crisis. I think that's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure we all know someone, maybe you're that person, that that you just stick it out with a friend or a family member when they're going through a crisis. Christy's very much like that. You know, she's the person you want around you when you're going through a horrific time, when you're going through a terrible time. And I know there are people at Bayside who will testify to that. Christy's been there and she's stayed up with them sometimes all night in hospitals and, you know, just gone the second and third mile. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. He's our parakletos. He's our comforter, the one that comes alongside us and stays with us all the way through a crisis or a difficulty. So when we lose a loved one, we go through grief and loss and all of those things and the Holy Spirit is right there comforting, maybe orchestrating as an act of love, uh, different things in our lives to remind us. And it's so real that we sense this amazing connection with our loved one uh, who has departed physically. So that's the good side of this. I'll just finish this particular section by just kind of, I guess, a word of caution. And that is don't seek to initiate contact with a deceased person. Uh, The Bible gives us a number of warnings uh, about this in the Scripture, and I'll just highlight some of them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
tells us not to have anything to do with a medium, medium or a spiritist or one who uh, consults the dead. Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And uh, there's uh, other scriptures as well. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? So rather than going to a spirit medium uh, to inquire from them, it says inquire of your God, of the Lord. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and testimony because he is the living God and our loved ones are in his presence and so we need to go to him. Uh, Sometimes people use the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16. The rich man dies, goes to a place of torment. Lazarus, the poor man, dies and goes to a place of comfort. And they're having this dialogue. Uh, the poor man's with Abraham uh, and uh, and the rich man is in torment and they're having this conversation. And uh, the rich man says, then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send Lazarus to my family, send Lazarus back from the dead. For I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What it's talking about there, of course, is Jesus is prophetically speaking about his resurrection and he's saying even if someone comes back from the dead, there are still going to be people who will not believe. And so that is how hard their hearts are. So if you feel that your departed loved one is around you, then be comforted and be encouraged by that, but don't seek to initiate contact with a deceased person. I hope that answers your question. What about haunted house, houses? Are they ghosts or evil spirits? Um, I tend to think that a, a house that is haunted is most likely some sort of, the Bible calls them familiar spirits, um, and, and I think they're most likely demonic uh, in origin. I have gone into a few homes over the years. Um, I've been contacted by various people over the years to say invariably they bought a new house, they've moved in, and there's something unsettling in the house. Uh, one that springs to mind, this happened over 30 years ago, and it was actually someone in our church, um, the last church that I was a part of, and they had a friend who wasn't a Christian who lived up in the Dandenongs, and they'd bought this beautiful old 100-year-old stone cottage. It was magnificent, except there was stuff going on inside the house. There was doors opening and closing. There were drawers opening and shutting on their own accord, and it was freaking them out. And they had intended to go and have a chat with one of the local white witches and to ask them to come in. So these uh, 
this couple who were members of my church, they said to them, well, why wouldn't you have a Christian pastor come in? And they said, well, yeah, we're happy to do that. So these friends said to me, they told me the story and they said, would you be happy to do that? And I said, sure. So I drove up, organised a time to go and see them and uh, went into their home and I had a really good chat with them and a time of prayer with them. And then I just basically walked through the house praying and uh, commanding any spirit that was there uh, that it had to leave in the name of Jesus. Nothing manifested while I was there. I don't know whether I was disappointed about that or not. Probably relieved, really. And uh, and then left and I rang them a couple of weeks later and I said, how's everything? And they said, ever since you've been there, everything's been completely peaceful. Um, I was over with my parents many years ago. This would have been... I think in the early 80s and some friends of theirs had the same experience. Lovely couple, uh, moved into a new home in Perth and stuff was going on and uh, had a conversation with them and and found out that one of their kids had um, uh, really an addiction to watching horror movies and they were bringing all of these movies into the house of demonic possession and manifestations and all of this. And so I said to them, I said, well, that's where this thing's getting into your home, so I'd encourage you to stop having movies in your house like that, but I'm more than happy to come around and pray in the home, which I did. And uh, once again, you know, everything left and and it was as good as gold. So um, I, I tend to think that haunted houses, ghosts, I think they're evil spirits, they're familiar spirits. Um, they're often trying to unsettle people, unnerve people. They're spirits of fear, and uh, and that's what they will tend to manifest. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Digging Deeper is a weekly podcast that is uploaded every Wednesday. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Rob to speak into, get in touch with us via Rob Buckingham's public figure page on Facebook. Next week... Pastor Rob will answer two fascinating questions. Can the spirits of departed loved ones still communicate with us? How can Jesus be God and also talk to God? We hope you can join us then.